Welcome to our special release episode of the Breakwater Podcast. There's a lot happening with alcohol policy in Wisconsin right now, so we took a few moments to sit down with Julia Sherman, coordinator for the Wisconsin Alcohol Policy Project, and Nikki Uhardy, member of the Wisconsin Public Health Association Public Affairs Committee. I asked several questions that I heard from members of our community, such as whether the proposed changes would be permanent or temporary. Spoiler alert, they'd be permanent. We also talk about what the legislation is intended to do, along with potential unintended consequences related to increased access to alcohol across the state. Julia and Nikki both mentioned websites where you can learn more about alcohol policy in Wisconsin and the Wisconsin Public Health Association. Those websites will be linked in the show notes. I hope you enjoy this interview, and as I mentioned at the end, we will do our best to keep this conversation ongoing and update you with as things progress and change in the coming weeks and months. The interview with Julia and Nikki is up next. Julia, Nikki, welcome to the show. How are you guys today? Fine, thank you. Pretty good. It's Friday. It is Friday, January 29th. And today we're going to talk about current topics in alcohol policy. There's a lot going on right now. So we're going to do this as a little special release podcast to help get some information out to the community about all the things that are happening. But first, I'm hoping that you guys could take a minute to just introduce yourselves. Julia, let's start with you. My name's Julia Sherman. I'm the coordinator of the Wisconsin Alcohol Policy Project, which is located at the University of Wisconsin Law School in Madison. Thank you, Julia. Nikki? Hi, my name is Nikki Uhardy. I am a um, committee member for the Wisconsin Public Health Association, WPHA's Public Affairs Committee, statewide group of public health professionals in Wisconsin. Thank you both for joining me today. First question really is what is going on in alcohol policy in Wisconsin right now? There's a couple of of draft pieces of legislation that are kind of circulating right now and looking for co-sponsors. Is that right? Yes. Actually, there are three bills that are circulating now and taken together, they dramatically expand the availability of alcohol within the state. One of them, the first one to be circulated, was a bill that authorized mixed drinks to go. In other words, you could call up your local bar, bar and grill, and order two Bloody Marys and a Brandy Manhattan to go, and you would go there and pick them up, and they'd be sealed in individual containers, and then you could buy them there and take them home. Another one of the bills, though, authorizes alcohol delivery with remote uh, purchasing. In other words, you could call in that order for the Brandy Manhattan or the Bloody Mary or a glass of wine, and a delivery service could bring it to your home. Same principle would operate for a a liquor store. You could order online a, a telephone call and have alcohol delivered to your home. And the third bill basically preempts localities from imposing more restrictions on curbside delivery of alcohol, what some places call click and collect, where you order your groceries online or your uh, products online, um, including alcohol, and then they're brought to your car. 
uh, some communities have adopted significant ordinances to make sure that uh, sufficient information is captured to ensure that this alcohol is being sold as it was presented it would be sold when their premises were expanded to accommodate click and collect. And those ordinances would all be unenforceable if that bill passed. So there are three things together. Um, One may pass, all three may pass, perhaps all three fail, we don't know. But when taken together, it it indicates dramatic change in the way alcohol is sold and served in Wisconsin. Thank you for that. One question that I have right off the bat, um, when you open it up, you were talking about the cocktails to go. You can order ahead and there will be a cocktail made and in a sealed container for pickup for you so you can take it to go. At least in my area, some of the bars and restaurants are already doing kind of cocktail kits to go where they maybe have your mixer components in a mason jar or some sort of container and then they put like the airline bottle of alcohol on top how is that different than what this bill is proposing to happen well what's important is what you described is completely legal that is a legal way to do it now the difference is this bill would allow a container of any size and alcohol beverages of any portions or any number to be sold, ordered remotely, and then picked up at the bar. So in other words, somebody could literally buy a bucket of margaritas to go as long as it was sealed as described in the bill. And you could actually order two buckets of margaritas because there's no limit on the number. Obviously, you wouldn't want to put, they don't put ice in it. That has to occur later. But basically, you have a significant amount of alcohol and you take it away and it is not their concern who gets to drink it. So in theory, there's no supervision of where this alcohol is going. There's a lot of concern about who would actually get those buckets of margaritas, the end users. Um, They're called straw buyers, people that buy the alcohol, in most cases, to provide it to underage youth. But there's a huge difference between a couple of buckets of margarita and a can of Snappy Tom and a little airline bottle of vodka with a pickle that you may be buying at your local restaurant now. I want to dig deeper into these bills, but first, could one of you kind of give us or walk us through some policy basics, what the phases of a bill becoming law are? There's a lot of steps in our legislative process here in Wisconsin. So the bill, it gets introduced. It doesn't get a bill number right away. They circulate it for co-sponsorships. Once that happens, it will go to a committee and it needs to pass through that committee to go to the full floor. So for example, if a bill is introduced by an assembly member, they will circulate that for some co-sponsorships from other assembly members, can be Senate members too, but they need to be both introduced in the assembly and the Senate. They'll go to their corresponding committees. If they make it through that, then they would go to the full committee. Once the assembly or Senate passes it, then the other house needs to pass as well before it would go to the governor. And those bills also need to match each other. We've seen this recently with other legislation. Bill passed through 
Senate went to the assembly, they made some amendments, then it needs to go back to the Senate for them to approve it so that they are the same legislation before going to the governor. And then the governor can either sign it into law or he could veto it as well. He has that final say, unless there's, uh, I believe it's three fourths majority um, would be needed to overturn that veto. Um, so I would say that's the basics. There's a lot more little steps that go into there, but that is probably a basic overview. So multiple steps and not necessarily something that happens overnight. There's a process to it. Yes, absolutely. As part of that process, there is an opportunity for the public and organizations such as Wisconsin Public Health Association, of which I'm proudly a member, uh, to have their comments, make their voices heard on it, and citizens to make their voices heard. The House that a bill begins in, either the Assembly or the Senate, they hold a hearing on it. Now, the other House can hold a hearing on it, but the House of Origin will hold a hearing on it. And that's the one opportunity that will always exist for people to learn more about why a bill was introduced and what it will do and for some of the unintentional consequences to become known. Because often you will hear in the course of the hearing, the author say, well, I certainly didn't intend that to happen. And that's true. They didn't intend this, but it's a consequence none the same. And that has to come into the calculation when legislators decide whether or not to support a bill or try to amend it to um, remediate some of the consequences that that were unintended. I would just add, now that Julia brought up the the public hearing, I would say that that isn't a super accessible option for a lot of folks either. It's typically held, well, it is held at the state capitol in Madison. And now with the pandemic, people aren't really going places in person. So it's a lot more difficult for people to get there. There's not always virtual options held for public input. And you have to know about the process, which I wouldn't say your average person knows the entire legislative process that they they know that they can even have any public input during that public hearing. Um, You can submit written testimony as well. You could reach out to your legislator. Um, But again, that takes a lot of background knowledge to even know to reach out that your voice can be heard. So in my opinion, it's not a super accessible option for the public to have input into legislation either. But it is a great opportunity to learn more about what was intended to happen and what will happen, because there are a lot of well-intentioned proposals that have consequences that go far beyond what people wanted. The obvious benefit is the perceived economic benefit to bars restaurants who have been suffering throughout the pandemic with capacity limitations, closures, mass mandates, all of that kind of stuff. What are some of the potential unintended consequences in terms of health, safety, access to alcohol of these pieces of legislation? Well, the first question that I asked when I looked at this was if these are in fact to help restaurants and bars during the course of the pandemic, why are they permanent changes? I I didn't understand that. And the second question that I had, especially for the delivery and the drinks to go, I wondered why food, especially in drinks to go, didn't include a component that required a meal or a food purchase. 
because if you're trying to make uh, carry out dining more attractive by offering alcohol, I understand that about 70% of a restaurant's income comes from the food. So linking a full meal or food to the purchase of alcohol to go, that just made sense to me. So I'm not certain exactly why that was left out. But those are mechanical things. And perhaps there's an answer. I would like to hear it. I don't, I was very troubled that these were all permanent because they will dramatically, in addition to changing the alcohol landscape, they really undermine home rule. We have local alcohol control in Wisconsin, and this changes, especially the uh, drinks to go, that changes the premise behind every bar and restaurant in Wisconsin that sells uh, beer, wine, and spirits. It says, now you're also a carryout place. And they weren't licensed as carryout places, but now uh, the licensees have much broader authority and the municipalities just have to deal with it. That's going to be a burden on municipalities. And I'm not sure if they intended to create that burden when this bill was being considered. Yeah, so for, for WPHA, at this point, we have registered as opposed to the cocktails to go bill. Um, so that's the one I'm going to focus on with our unintended consequences. Um, our major concern, too, was that these are permanent changes. If the bill had more public health and safety controls, especially a defined end date, we'd be much more supportive. Um, we are obviously supportive of supporting our small local businesses during the pandemic. Um, but then why doesn't, why don't these bills end along with the pandemic? Why is it a permanent change? Um, some other controls that we think are important, um, definitely limiting the container size. Like Julia mentioned earlier, you could just go purchase a, you know, a, let's say a five gallon bucket of margarita. <laughs> That's not unheard of in Wisconsin. Um, we also have issues with that. There are no requirements for meal or food purchase with those drink purchases, wanting to limit the number of alcohol beverages purchased. There is no limit on that. So, I mean, you could go and just get 10 drinks to go, who knows? And then along with cocktails to go, of course comes the risk of increased drunk driving. Let's be realistic here. And then along with that, uh, it'd be great to include some funding for law enforcement so that they can implement interventions to prevent the underage drinking or operating while intoxicated and also funding emergency medical services to staff any resulting increases in preventable injuries. So these are just some of the health and safety controls that we think are missing from the cocktails to go bill right now. And as Julia mentioned, you know, we don't always think of unintended consequences. Maybe the bill authors didn't think of these things at first, but that's why it's important for groups like WPHA to look at them and come out and share some of our concerns so that hopefully we can strengthen the legislation and make it you know, what it was intended for. So we definitely support the intended outcome of supporting the small businesses, um, but not in a way that promotes problem drinking. And you know, Nikki raises a really great point about law enforcement, but part of the reason that law enforcement is not funded to deal with this expanded availability of alcohol is that the interventions to do that that are constitutional and accepted by police, those protocols, 
they haven't been created yet. Right now, a few states have developed local approaches um, to how do you actually enforce uh, the laws on delivering alcohol or delivering alcohol with food. Is there a protocol where you can set up a decoy, an underage decoy in an apartment, and then see if the delivery guy asks for an ID when he's handing over the beer and the pizza? Well, those sorts of protocols are still being developed. So we're having laws that law enforcement has responsibility for enforcing. Not only do we not pay them or provide them with the means to enforce it, we're not even certain how they'd go about doing it right now. That means that basically the delivery is just getting way ahead of where the community and where the law enforcement is. It's appropriate to enforce the law and it's appropriate to enforce it in a constitutional and appropriate way. And that takes time. So this is moving much too quickly. This is not just happening in Wisconsin. It's happening in a number of states. But these proposals here in Wisconsin, starting with Drinks to Go, are far broader than we've seen in other states. And so when people compare it to them and say, well, this has happened in Illinois, for example. Well, it has, but in Illinois, the drinks have to ride in the trunk. That cuts down the concern about drunk people sipping on the way home, which is one of Nikki's concern. We don't have that in our bill. So once again, we're sort of trying to move quickly, but at the same time, we're moving very recklessly in the wrong direction on these bills. You know, one thing that I've learned over the past year in this role from both of you is that increased outlets lead to increased alcohol-related problems, even if all outlets follow all relative rules and regulations perfectly. So this wouldn't necessarily increase the number of outlets, but it would greatly expand the way that the outlets that exist operate. Places that don't normally provide carryout services provide carryout services. You don't have to leave your couch to order your alcohol and have it delivered to you. Which of course, as you mentioned, straw buyers, the uncertainty around age verification and compliance checks that that is actually being performed. Is there concern or should the community see concern with this as it relates to underage drinking or underage access to alcohol as in addition to the potential for increased drunk driving or problem drinking among adults? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a concern about underage drinking there's also a concern about increased levels of binge drinking overall. Not only could straw buyers get alcohol and take it to teenagers, uh, the bill that limits uh, talking about click and collect alcohol, remotely ordered, picked up. Some communities put very specific restrictions on how alcohol can be ordered and then picked up later, specifically to make sure their high school students can't get a hold of it. Those local ordinances will be wiped out by this bill. One of the things that we've been very concerned about is that on click and collect is that the 
Store owners, the retailers, class A, off-premises licensee, they often make promises that they will, um, you know, only send out licensed operators to deliver it, that they have to do, you know, an ID check and scan it, and they're going to do any number of things, right? But we found, and it's not just here in Wisconsin, but in Kentucky as well, uh, community coalitions that take the promises that the local retailer makes, often a grocer, and orders alcohol, either by phone or online as part of a click and collect, then they go and they check off to see how many of those promises they keep. In both cases, Wisconsin and Kentucky, less than 50% of those promises were actually complied with by the retailer when the local residents went to check. There's a reason we have laws and there's a reason we have laws and speed limits. We don't have voluntary speed limits in school zones for really good reasons. And we shouldn't have what amounts to voluntary limits in this case as well, especially when several communities have already expressed their concern about it. One more point I'd like to make about drinks to go. We're just beginning to see some of the research from other states. It's not sufficient to draw a, um, a general conclusion or establish causality. But one of the most troubling trends we've, the one state saw was that over 50% of the people that ordered drinks to go to have be brought to them, they said it was because they felt they were already too impaired to drive. Now that cuts down on drunk driving, which is a good thing, but it also also becomes state facilitated binge drinking. Wisconsin already loses twice as many people each year to alcohol related falls as drunk driving. And those statistics concerned me that that number could go up. We don't know if it will, but that was a very troubling early finding. Yeah, and that brings it back. So I've been having conversations about these with people throughout the community, you know, just, you know that these are out there. What are your thoughts on them? What are your immediate concerns? And it's definitely been a mix, right? Because if I am a responsible adult that says, you know what, I'm going to order in Friday fish fry, I'd like to have my old fashioned or whatever with it. I order, it's convenient, great, I'm going to have the one and I'm good. Yeah. But there's also concern over the just the increased access, right? Whether you're already too intoxicated to drive. So you think let's order more because I don't have to drive to go get it, which I think all of us could see that happening. There's no limit on the amount of drinks or the amount of alcohol you can order in terms of container size. Even when you go to events like a Packer game, there's a limit on how many drinks you can purchase per trip to the concession stand. So why there wouldn't also be a limit on this, you know, or have it somehow tied to a meal order where order, you have to order a meal to order alcohol and there's X amount of beverages per meal um, seems to only make sense there. I do want to touch on a little bit, you had mentioned, and we had touched on it a little bit about how this changes how licensees operate. Could we run through maybe just a review of the license types for Wisconsin and how these pieces of legislation would change that? 
in terms of on-premise, off-premise? We call off-premise class A. Um, some people would say class A, drink it away. Just that sort of memory trick there. Um, in that case, they don't sell mixed drinks. They only sell alcohol and it's manufactured uh, sealed containers, six packs of beer, bottles of wine, bottles of spirits. They would be able to do curbside delivery. Um, under this, they would be limited in the sorts of rules the community could place on them for their curbside delivery. Um, they wouldn't be impacted by the drinks to go. With the remote, with the delivery, they would be impacted because what's being repealed is Wisconsin's requirement that a face-to-face -face sale take place on the licensed premises, which means I can call my local liquor store. I can call Steve's at Junction here in Madison and say, hey, I'm coming and I'd like two bottles of Joel Gott Sauvignon Blanc set aside for me. And yeah, they'll have it up at the register, but I still have to go into the store. They're going to ask me for an ID. They're going to determine I'm not intoxicated. That requirement would be eliminated not for um, under the bill about delivery. I could just call them and a delivery service would bring it uh, to me under that. Um, for class B's and some liquor stores are in fact licensed as class B's uh, so that they can hold wine tasting classes and things like that. Um, under those, they could sell, they could have wine tasting classes to go. They could, uh, they would no longer have to have people come on the premises for, to get the alcohol for the wine tasting class. They could do remote wine tasting class or scotch tasting classes or any number of things. So they wouldn't know who is actually getting that alcohol. And in uh, class B also covers regular bars and restaurants as well. And they would no longer have the requirement that people come on um, and they would be able to sell mixed drinks to go with or without food in any size container, as long as it was sealed. Did I miss anything, Nikki? I don't believe so. I think you covered them. <laughs> okay. Everything I know about outlets and definitions, I learned from you. I know the AOA trick. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I hadn't really, I was, when I saw these bill drafts, I was concerned about the expansion of availability because I was coming at it from someone who's looked at alcohol policy for 20 years. But um, an alderman from uh, one of the cities and some that have followed reached out to me and said, hey, wait a minute, this is a home rule issue. And I understand where she's coming from because it will change the way they license and the expansion is imposed on them as is the enforcement is imposed on them. So that's higher cost potentially at the same time, all three bills say, no, the state's going to tell you this is how you're going to sell and serve alcohol in your community and how much alcohol is going to be sold and served in your community. And you get to give the local taxpayer the bill for paying it. So I can understand why she was upset because law enforcement is one of the top costs and often the top cost of any municipal budget. 
And this is likely to carry, depending on if any or all of them passed, it will impact the law enforcement budget of those communities. And it takes same time takes away a significant portion of that community alders their ability to decide how alcohol will be sold and served. I understand why she was upset and her colleagues are upset about this. You've mentioned home rule a couple of times. Could you explain home rule for anyone that's not familiar with what that means in relation to alcohol policy? Well, it's practically sacred text in Wisconsin. Basically, home rule is a phrase, and I'm not an attorney, so this is not a legal definition, that anything that is not of statewide significance will be handled by the community itself. We know our own needs. We know our own priorities. We have both constitutional home rule, it's in our state constitution, and we have statutory home rule, and it's in our constitution. One of the issues in public health and I know Nikki's dealt with this, has been the tug of war between preemption and home rule. Because so often the state seeks uniformity. In some cases, it makes sense. Uniformity in bar closing times kept people from driving from one community where they drank to another community where they could drink a couple hours let more and then God help us all drive back to the first community. That made sense. But why do we need uniformity on things like click and collect? We've not seen any evidence anywhere that uniformity made a difference. It's just easier for someone and it's not the local authorities and it may not benefit the local community members. You can always preempt it later if there is an issue but this doesn't even allow communities to put restrictions on things and see if statewide problems evolve that require a uniform law. It's just acting in advance to set the bar very, very low. And that's troubling. Is there anything else that you guys wanna share? I'll just reiterate from WPHA's standpoint on the cocktails to go um, we strongly support the bill's desired outcome to support small and local business during the pandemic, but we believe there's many other ways to support businesses without promoting problem drinking. And we also have a whole list of safety and health controls that could help strengthen these bills um, that might change our opinion on them. Um, but the way that they're written right now, we, we cannot support them for public health purposes. I think the one thing that I would also say is that especially when we're dealing with alcohol related issues, it's important in Wisconsin for people to reach out to, to their local legislator, whatever their opinion for or against. We know that binge drinking in Wisconsin costs every man, woman and child each year somewhere between six and $700 in increased law enforcement costs, increased healthcare costs, increased insurance rates and lost productivity. So to say that it won't impact you is false. It impacts all of us. We all pay for this billions of dollars annually in Wisconsin. And so, if you are concerned about this, 
take the time to learn and then reach out to your local legislator with whatever your opinion is or whatever your questions are, because this will dramatically change how we sell alcohol in Wisconsin. These bills together, and in fact, two of them, the ones that repeal the face-to-face requirement on the licensed premises, that changes the way alcohol has been sold in this state since the end of prohibition. That's a dramatic historical change. And we should think carefully before it is made. Um, A lot of the states that made some changes made them temporary with sunset dates. Some of them made them permanent, but these bills dramatically expand the availability of alcohol. It is likely they will increase local costs. We don't know, but we do know that they would be permanent changes and everybody should share their opinion, good or bad, with their local legislator. And if somebody listening wants to learn more about alcohol policy, where would you send them? If you want to learn about alcohol policy in Wisconsin, I would suggest you visit our website, the Wisconsin Alcohol Policy Project. It is on the University of Wisconsin-Madison website within the law school. And you just go to the law school's website and put in alcohol policy and it pops up. We have explanations of many of the things that communities are doing in Wisconsin to reduce underage and excessive alcohol use. And there's a handy glossary there if you are new to the terms. But also we have a lot of infographics that simply explain how alcohol injures people in Wisconsin and the cost that it imposes on all of us. And that's information that we should all have just as residents of Wisconsin. Nikki, are there any resources you'd recommend from the Wisconsin Public Health Association that can help people learn more? Not about alcohol policy specifically. If you wanna learn about alcohol policy, I would definitely suggest going to the Wisconsin Alcohol Policy Project's website. I've used that many, many times. Um, But if you're interested in learning more about WPHA, what we're about, other public health issues, Um, You can just go to our website. You just Google Wisconsin Public Health Association, you'll find our website. Otherwise, reach out to me. I'm happy to share more as well. Excellent. Well, thank you both for taking the time today to talk about this issue a little bit. We're going to get this out to everybody and available on our pod, on the podcasting apps and on our website as soon as possible. Um, And then we will continue to update as things progress. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you.